Happy New Year. Um, uh, it's an honor for me. My name is Brian. It's an honor for me to uh, kind of kick things off here at the summit um, in 2015. 2015. Um, welcome to the future. Right? <laughs> I hope um, the ride over on your hoverboards was smooth. I hope you guys all made it safely. Um, the other thing is, uh, if it was your New Year's resolution to make it to church, you did it. You, you made it. So congratulations. Uh, the thing is, if your resolutions are like mine, uh, we probably won't see you again until about this time next year. So um, we'll try to, uh, I'll try to make the most of our time here. Um, so as Brian was talking about earlier, if you've been at the summit for a decent amount of time, one thing we like to do kind of every year, every January, is make our own resolutions as a church. Um, Our church started here, what, four years ago? Um, And it was founded upon three core values that Brian mentioned, gospel, community, and mission. So everything we do and everything we are as a church, we try to filter through those core values to be the church that we believe God has called us to be, a gospel-centered community on mission for Jesus in the city of Denver. And that is our resolution every year. And just like any resolution, sometimes we succeed and sometimes we fail. We do some things right and there's some things that we need to do better. But every year we start things off by looking back at those core values to see what the Bible and what God tells us about gospel community mission, so that we can then look forward to the new year and try to live out those values. Try to be a church for the city whose mission is to see lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so tonight we're going to begin with the gospel, which is kind of a big deal. And the reason it's a big deal um, is, is that because without the gospel... There's no community. Without the gospel, there's no mission. Without the gospel, there's no summit church. What we do here would be utterly pointless without the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news. And the good news is this, that Jesus Christ is God who became man, who was born a baby, who lived the perfect life that we could never live, who sacrificed himself on a cross to die the death that we deserve because of our sinfulness. Jesus was buried. He was risen. And with that brought victory to himself over Satan, sin, and death, and also to us. And shortly after that, he ascended to heaven when he's alive today. And we believe that. And we believe that he desires a relationship with his people, with you, with me, with all of us. Now, there, there, it's possible there's some of you that have never heard that before, and it, it sounds a little crazy, and it's difficult to wrap your minds around, and there's many of you that have probably heard that a million times, but it's still crazy, and it's still really difficult to wrap your minds around. What does that mean? And, and I think the, the goal is we don't want to lose sight of the beauty, the amazingness of the gospel. We never want to become callous to it. Um, And so those are the basics of what we mean when we say gospel. It's been said from the stage before, um, but it bears repeating. Tim Keller says this, that 
the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A to Z of Christianity. It's, it's everything. It's, it's central to everything that we believe and everything that we, as followers of Jesus, are called to be. If we try to unravel all of what the gospel is and how it impacts our lives, we might be here for um, a couple days, a couple weeks, but we're not going to do that. Um, instead, I'd like to hone in on one or two aspects of the gospel and think about how that should change those who believe in it. Another way the gospel has been described is as a, um, a multifaceted diamond um, where it's, a, it's a, a beautiful and solid truth, and yet it's got all these beautiful facets that as we view it from different angles and different perspectives, it speaks and reflects different truths back to us. And so there's so many things within the gospel that we can emphasize. Redemption, restoration, reconciliation, mercy, justice, eternal life, atonement. And we can go on. The, 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 the idea is there's so much to talk about. But tonight, the facet that I want to um, focus in on that I want to examine, that we find in Romans 8, is that in Jesus, we are free from condemnation. That truth, when we believe it, when we grasp it, has enormous ramifications for how we live our lives. And it's my hope that as we enter into this new year, that you and I and we as a church can cling to that belief and see see that God uses us in crazy and unimaginable ways. And so we're going to turn back to the Bible. We'll we'll start in Romans uh, 8. We'll just look at verses 1 and 2. And we'll just just get going. Um, there, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So before we um, can move forward, you'll notice there's a therefore in that, that verse. And so we're going we're gonna to start there. Before we can begin to grasp that we have no condemnation in Christ, we have to understand why we'd be condemned in the first place. People aren't just saved. They are saved from something. Imagine... Uh, walking through a store and someone comes up to you and grabs you and says, oh, I got you, I saved you. It wouldn't make any sense. There's no imminent danger. There's, you know, you're you're just shopping. There's nothing going on. You'd be really creeped out. (laughs) But uh, imagine you're walking through the same store. All of a sudden, the floor collapses and this gaping hole develops right in front of you and that same person grabs you right before you fall to your doom then it kind of makes a little more sense. That saving, you needed saving, and it it becomes clear to you in that moment. And it's the same thing with the gospel. The whole saving thing has to make sense um, without a proper understanding of why we'd be condemned or, or what Jesus has saved us from, then it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The reason behind our condemnation is sin. We kind of jumped right into the middle of the book of Romans here, um, written by the Apostle Paul. Um, But he's kind of in the middle of laying it all out, that we were created uh, by God, um, and that rather than worshiping and loving our Creator and Father, we turned away from Him. 
we placed ourselves on the throne of our own lives and kind of shoved God aside, said, no, we got this. But God doesn't give up on us. He uses the people of the Old Testament to establish his law, to show them the standard for living rightly and living holy. And what we see in the Israelites in the Old Testament, what we see in ourselves today, is that we continually fail to live up to that standard. We're sinful, and our sin, sin separates us from God, and we can't bridge that separation on our own. We can't live the life that we were created to live, and we need to recognize the fact before we can begin to find a solution to it. For me, one of the clearest uh, revelations of kind of the depth of my own sinfulness came uh, from a song. Um, I was in college, and not a worship song or anything like that, um, but I was listening to an album by an artist named Sufjan Stevens, and he came out with this album, I guess it was like 10 years ago, which is... uh, Makes me really old. Um, but I was in college. Came out with this album, and or at least in my mind, really old, sorry. Uh, and so um, so we had this concept album about the state of Illinois. And so every, every song, sounds a little weird, but every song was about something in Illinois. So Chicago, this year's Tower. He sang a song about Casimir Pulaski Day, which I don't know if anyone knows what that is, but I grew up in Chicago. And we got a day off in March because we celebrated Kazimir Pulaski. Who knew? Some sort of Polish war guy. I don't know. But, uh, so anyway, so there's all these songs about these different things. And one of the songs was about a serial killer, a serial killer named John Wayne Gacy. And uh, it's legitimately the most disturbing uh, and creepy song you probably will ever hear. If you don't know who John Wayne Gacy is, he was... Um, this guy that lived in suburban Illinois in the 70s, and uh, he dressed up as a clown and molested and murdered 33 teenage boys over the course of a couple summers. And um, after he killed them, he'd hide the bodies in his basement. I mean, it's it's horrific. It's it's it is absolutely terrifying. Um, and the song kind of lays it all out. It's this kind of biographical song about John Wayne Gacy, and it's so crazy, and and you hear it, and you're just like, I mean, it's just awful. And you're like, why in the world is this guy writing a song about a serial killer? And I can remember clearly the first time that I heard that song. I was in in college, I was in my dorm room, um, and I had my headphones on, I just got in the album, and I'm trying to listen to the whole thing through in that song, and I'm, I'm fighting the urge to hit, like, the, the skip track to just kind of go to the next song and just forget it. When um, the last few lyrics of the song come on, and where Sufjan Stevens, the, the musician, says this, And in my best behavior, I am really just like him. Look beneath the floorboards for the secrets I have hid. And uh, I remember hearing those lines, and my jaw kind of just dropped, and my eyes filled with tears, and I just kind of stared for a while and thought, you know, he's, uh, he's absolutely right. Um, I know it's shocking to say, I'm not a serial killer, by the way, but those, <laughs> like those, those same things, the, the thing that I want to communicate here is the, the same things that drove... Gacy, to do what he did, to, you know, the murders and all that stuff, they live in me. They live in you. The anger, the greed, the lust, the jealousy, 
they're in there. The seeds that kind of manifested themselves into these horrific crimes, they, they're in our hearts just the same. And uh, I think that when we realize that, it can be really powerful. Too often we kind of look at extreme examples like a John Wayne Gacy or Hitler, or we look at the situation in Ferguson, no matter kind of what you think about that, or you know the recent school massacre in Pakistan, or any number of school shootings or tragedies that go on, I mean, on a weekly basis, basically. And we say, yeah, the world is messed up. And we kind of leave it there. Um, it's really easy to kind of cast the blame, to look outward and see all that mess that's going on and never really look inward and see kind of the darkness of some of our thoughts or the coldness in our hearts. And, uh, yeah, I, I think um, I think if we, if we take the time to really think about it, we realize that we're more part of the problem than we want to admit. Um, that, that sin is, is here, and it's here, and it's messed up our world, and it's messed up our relationship with a loving God. And I think if we're honest, then we feel that. That we aren't the way that we're created to be. That we're born enslaved to the law of sin and death, and that we need help. We can't fix it on our own. But there's hope. Thankfully, we don't have to. If we look back at the scripture, um, Romans 8, let's start again in verse 1 because it's just so dang good. Um, And we'll go to verse 4. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin... He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And so we see that despite all of that mess, the the nastiness in our own hearts, God's offered us no condemnation. There's no middle ground between righteous and unrighteous, no middle ground between holy and unholy. You either are or you aren't, and we aren't. But God graciously does what we couldn't because we're weak in our flesh. He bridges the gap, taking on our sin and granting us his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the great exchange. This is the gospel that you're more sinful than you could ever imagine yet you're more loved and accepted than you could ever dream. And it's not because of anything that you've done or I've done, but because of what God himself has done. We're free from condemnation simply because Jesus intervened on our behalf. And this is huge. And that's why we need to understand our desperately sinful condition first. We need to grasp the depths of our depravity in order to begin to comprehend the lengths that Jesus has gone to to save us. In His mercy, God spared us from being the ones to make the payment for our sins, and in His justice, He brought it down upon Himself in the form of Jesus on the cross. His death is what we deserve for our sin against God, and yet He loved us enough to take our place. 
And at the heart of it, there's this beautiful juxtaposition where on one hand, we're depraved, corrupt, polluted, guilty of betraying our Heavenly Father, but on the other, God, the Almighty Creator of the universe, the source of all goodness and all love, saw us as worth enough for Him to become a man and to sacrifice everything on a cross to save us and give us new life. And that means no condemnation for sins past, present, and future. We are held firmly in God's embrace as one of His own through the work of Jesus. And as a kid, very early on in my faith, I used to believe that I needed to pray and confess my sin as soon as I screwed up for fear that if like, somehow I got struck by lightning before I was able to pray or whatever, I'd end up in hell because of my unconfessed sin. But I was wrong. I didn't understand that, that Jesus had really paid it all. Because it wasn't ever a matter of my performance or the work I had done, then how could I lose my salvation in the gospel because of my lack of performance or the terrible work I had done? And I, I guess like the reason that's so hard to believe that you know we're so conditioned to earn things and fight for them and you know prove our worth or whatever but it's so hard to believe because i doubt any of us have ever really experienced that before imagine if all of who you were all of who you are all you've ever been has been kind of laid bare your thoughts your desires your mistakes your struggles everything just kind of laid out in the open for everyone to see. Who in your life would see that and still unconditionally love and accept you? Your boss, your parents, your best friend, your spouse? Doubtful, maybe. But you'd most likely be met with disgust, disappointment, hurt, You'd probably have to work to earn back some of the trust you just lost with all of your stuff being displayed for everyone to see. And uh, what we need to realize is that it's, it's different with God. He's seen all of you. He knows you. He's experienced your worst. And yet He chooses love. He chooses you. And I guess... Um, I just want us to feel that, you know. I want us to just realize the life-changing power and truth behind that, what Paul's just written. It's just refreshing. It's freeing. It's, it's nothing that you've ever heard before. And um, I think it's just so easy for us to lose sight of it um, and to just become numb to what the gospel really is and what Jesus has really done um, for us. But it doesn't just stop there. It goes on. Let's, we'll jump down to um, verse 10. Look at 10 and 11. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So um, we see here in Romans 8 that there's a couple things going on. 
that when Jesus enters our lives, there's the no condemnation piece, but it looks like there's more. The first um, thing that's going on is what we call justification. And um, we've got a definition um, from a book called Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem. Um, and I think it's just really helpful for us to kind of put words to these things and begin to understand them. So justification is an instantaneous legal act of God in which he, one, thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness is belonging to us, and two, declares us to be righteous in his sight. So this is what we've already talked about, the no condemnation aspect of what Christ has done for us. But then what we just read in verse 10 and 11 is that Paul writes about the introduction of the Holy Spirit into our lives as well. We begin to walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so this is kind of the second benefit, the second aspect of what the gospel can do in our lives. And that is what we call sanctification. And uh, we've got a definition for that. So sanctification, a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. So the gospel brings justification and it starts this process of sanctification. And so just to quickly kind of wrap our minds, there's a comparison chart that we've got. Yep. Um, Just a quick kind of primer on some of those things that that the gospel gives us and does in our lives. Uh, I'll let you kind of read that. Um, But if you look at the list under sanctification, um, and you see that it's continuous throughout life, that it requires our cooperation, it's not perfect, it's different in different people, and it kind of all adds up to messy. (laughs) Um, The truth is um, that exactly what Paul has written here, and that... um, When you become a follower of Jesus, you're given a new spirit of life, but you remain in your broken, spiritually dead body. In the chapters surrounding this one in the book of Romans, Paul talks all about how the spirit begins working in our lives and changing our desires, but our weak and sinful flesh fights back, pulling us back into the things that we no longer want to do. It's a battle. Um... And it's hard as the, as the Spirit sanctifies us, scraping and scrubbing the corrosion of pollution um, and, and darkness that, that sin has left in our hearts and minds. And we're going to fail. One of the reasons that I uh, actually chose this passage and one of the reasons that I personally come back to it so often is just my need to be reminded that in Jesus there really is no condemnation that when I've failed, when I've let my wife down, when I've let my kids down, when I've let Jesus down, um, I need that reminder. Because I want to heap condemnation on myself a lot of times. Um, But the victory's already been won. And not only that, but it's written, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead also gives you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. That's crazy. Um, No matter what struggles we face, no matter what's going to be thrown my way, I think I'm going to side with that, that team, right? It's like, okay, he raised some dude from the dead, like, Okay, I'm going to side with him. 
Um, I'm not saying it's going to be easy or clean or fun or quick. But uh, what I am saying is in the end, God's doing a work in you. And I, he's doing a work in me. And, and I'll take the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead over sexual addiction, over lying, over substance abuse, over arrogance, over whatever the heck you're dealing with, whatever the heck we deal with on a daily basis. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is in you, fighting for you, working in you to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. And when we believe all of this, when we understand the gap between our sinfulness and God's holiness, when we begin to wrap our minds around what it took for God to know us fully and yet still willingly choose to go to the cross and endure the suffering it took to win us back, it changes everything. When we believe that the Holy Spirit lives in us and is at work changing our desires, making us into the men and the women that God has created us to be, then it changes everything. And as a church, as we head into 2015 with the continuous desire to see God flip the city upside down with the gospel, then these truths that we've talked about tonight should change the way that we live and the way that we see people around us. I think for me personally, as I've, as I've studied this passage and try to prepare for tonight, um, and try to grasp it, there are a few things that I've been really convicted of. Um, a few practical things that I feel like should emerge um, as a result of the power of the gospel. And I, I just kind of wanted to quickly share some of these things. It's not a comprehensive list or anything like that. But, um, you know, some of the things that I've begun to see in myself as a result of the Spirit's sanctification in my life and something, some things that I need work on, for sure. And I'm asking God to provide and to do that in me. And so really quickly, I'll just run through these just kind of thoughts that popped into my head. The first is this humility. The gospel should produce humility. And so when we recognize the depths of our sin and depravity, then what do we have to boast in? We ought to be humbled by the grace and love that God poured out for us. And as the Spirit works in us to become more like Jesus, we follow His lead, humbling ourselves to love and serve others ahead of ourselves. Another thing is empathy. When we see people around us making destructive decisions or stumbling through life, we respond with compassion and empathy because that is what Christ did for us. He sought us out. Despite knowing how screwed up we are, and rather than casting judgment like he could have, he extended his hand. And finally, forgiveness. What rights do we have? Christ had every right in the universe to forsake us, yet he gave up those rights for our sake and forgave us. We've been forgiven of so much, yet we're so quick to hold grudges, to be offended, or fight back at those who wrong us. These are things that when I look at the gospel and reflect on, I want my heart to be changed um, to display these things. I want to be compassionate. I want to listen to people and hear their struggles and hear their pain. Um, yeah, I think about, I want to deal, like, I have a relationship with my neighbors with these attributes. I want to understand my neighborhood and the socioeconomic, the racial tension and all that stuff, I want to, I want to empathize with that because I know that Jesus does. 
And yeah, I, I, yeah, hopefully that's helpful. I don't know. It's just those are things that have been kind of impressed on me. And, and I want us as a church to be a people that embody that humility, empathy, forgiveness. Not because it's what we're supposed to do, but because Christ has changed our life and because the Spirit is working in us. And I think one thing that I've realized kind of in my own journey as well is that the Spirit is at work. Um, Sometimes it's hard to see it or believe it. Um, But He does, like, He transforms us. And it may not be with the timing that we want. I think we all kind of desire quick change. Um, It's one of the reasons why I hate working out because change seems so inevitable. It's like this is a lot of work for (laughs) nothing going on. Um, Maybe I just need to give it another chance. But uh, that's the worst. Um, But it takes so long. But it's the same thing with my relationship with Jesus. And like I look back five years ago and I shake my head at how far Christ has kind of brought me in changing my desires in my heart. I think one of the clearest examples um, for me has just been um, my desire to be here, to be involved in what's going on at the summit. Um, a few years ago, if there was a you know a football game going on at the same time as church, I probably would have watched the the game. But it's like it's worth it to see like the lives that have been changed and the, to celebrate baptisms and to worship alongside what Melissa and I really feel is our family here. And, um, you know, I don't know. It's super random, but I feel like the Spirit works. And I I think it's sometimes so hard to believe that and see it, but He really does. And and God's got you, and He's going to do a work in you, even when we might not notice. So, as we move forward in 2015... Whatever this year holds for us as a church and as individuals, we have to remember that the gospel is not simply the starting point. We don't just talk about it and then kind of move on from here on out. But we camp out on it. We, we build our house on this. We, we lay our foundation on the gospel. We never move past it. It never gets old. It's our... It's our only hope for this life and for the next life. And it's my hope and my prayer that that we as a people let the truth and power of what God has done for us through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection wash over us constantly. Allow the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit, remember, who raised Christ from the dead, who now lives in us, to continue to shape us into the men and women that we were created to be. The beauty of the church is that we don't do this alone. We lean on one another. We encourage one another. We constantly preach the gospel to one another, reminding ourselves that because of God's great work, we are free from condemnation. And I'll wrap it up with this. We as a church don't simply exist for ourselves. People need to hear this. Life is really hard, so hard. And there's so many people out there looking, searching for some sort of hope. We have that in the gospel. As you dream for this year, dream about what it might look like for you to share this hope with the people around you. 
to even see one person in your life grasp this, to have one person realize their need and then realize that Jesus has fulfilled that need in the gospel would be incredible. That's why we exist. That's what we want to see happen. We want to see lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray with me. God, you are, uh, you're good. You're really good. And uh, we are thankful for who you are and what you've done. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and the truth, the beauty, and the power of the gospel. God, you desire relationship with us, and um, sometimes I wonder why, but um, you love us. You um, are willing to put up with our mess and our dysfunction and our sinfulness and make something new out of us, God. Uh, we thank you for your spirit, the spirit that's here tonight, the spirit that's in each of us that's um, changing us and transforming us. God, thank you for saving us. Thank you that we are free from condemnation in you. God, that it's as simple as accepting this free gift that you've extended to us. God, I pray that we would be um, a people centered on your gospel, that it would change every single aspect of each of our lives. God, thank you for allowing us to be a part of this. and for the grace that you've extended to us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.